0: We are returning to our our studies in John chapter eight. This morning, I would like to read John chapter eight, verses twelve through twenty. This is our our fifth message. We gave a, 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 an introduction to the passage. In our first message, we dealt with the woman taken in adultery, and then last week we opened up this series with John chapter twelve, which. Is a very, very special passage. And today we're going to deal with the initial response from the religious rulers of Israel. John chapter 12, and we begin with verse, uh, John chapter 8, and we begin with verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou... Bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came, and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come, and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one with that bear witness of myself, and the father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. These words spake Jesus in the in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Verse 12 is one of the most significant opening statements to a sermon that was never given. Jesus, the Son of God, stood in the temple, in the midst of the temple, in the treasury, verse 20 tells us, uh, very close to the court of the women, that he is the light of life and that he is the light of the world. All light derives from the Lord Jesus Christ. By using these metaphors of light, he explicitly pronounced himself to be the coming Messiah. The, the Old Testament and John the Baptist were, were, were constantly talking about the light of the world. We went through many of these verses the last time we were together. So by declaring himself to be the light of life and the light of the world, he explicitly announced to the crowd that he is the long-awaited Messiah. The world has been living in spiritual darkness since the fall of man, and now the light that shines out of the darkness has arrived. He's standing in the midst of these people in the temple, and he's telling him them that the anointed one of God is, has come, And sadly, the light that shineth out of the darkness, and the darkness comprehendedeth not. That's what the prologue to John, the first five tells us in John chapter one, that the light was shining in the midst of all of this darkness, and they could not comprehend this light. This is what it means to be lost, to not understand your spiritual state before God. And so let's look at this verse in in verse 13. See how these men reacted to Jesus Christ, telling them that he is the light of life and the light of the world. Therefore, the Pharisees said to him, you testify concerning yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, this is probably the saddest statement you will find because it represents pretty much everybody in the world. Very few people in the world will tell you that the Bible is true, that it is truth, that it is the very word of God, the authoritative word of God, without question, without error. And so we find these men speaking to the word of God in the flesh and telling him that he is a liar. So it didn't take for a moment for them to to spew out these remarks, these these religious men of Israel, these doctors of the law of Moses, spewed out very quickly that the Messiah was lying to them. So I want to I carefully consider this morning this statement from these men. Because these were the rulers, the spiritual rulers of Israel. These were the people that the, the common people relied upon for spiritual guidance in their lives. They were the doctors of the law of Moses. Their positions as the spiritual leaders of Israel required calm, reasoned, and wise thinking. That's the job of a spiritual leader. To know what you're doing, to know what you're thinking about, to calmly ascertain what is being said, to reason through it, and then wisely respond to it. But these men were anything but calm, they were anything but reasoned, and they were anything but wise. They were the the opposite of what they should have been as the scribes and Pharisees of Israel. And this is why they immediately responded with with an emotionally charged, irrational, and presumptuous outburst. Just immediately said, you testify concerning yourself, your testimony is not true that quick, without thinking. It just blurted it out. False religion requires emotion and stubbornness to sustain itself. False religion requires emotion and stubbornness to sustain itself, because that's all it has. It's not rational. It has no basis for what it believes or the people who believe it have no basis why they believe what they believe. So they have to be irrational, and they have to be stubborn in that irrationality. They will not allow anybody to enter into their thinking that might threaten how they live. So these men, these, these rulers of Israel, that was going on in their mind. Their traditions were being challenged. They were being threatened. So they immediately shouted to Jesus, you are a liar. They shouted him down. They, they tried to intimidate him from moving forward. They could not admit their biased hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, these men hated him. They had been trying to kill him for the last two and a half years. We are in the right after the Feast of Tabernacles, the last one. It is the fall before the, the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He only has six months to live. And so two years earlier, maybe two and a half years earlier, we find him at the pool of Bethesda healing this man that had been crippled for 38 years. They determined to kill him then. So these men were murderers. They were doing all that they could to stop the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ over their traditional religion. So what did they do? Well, they were lawyers, so they made a legal objection to what he said. That's all they could do, because they really had no other basis to say what they were going to say. Let me explain this. They objected to one of the most wonderful statements that ever came forth from the mouth of God. I, I mean, I am the light of the world. Think of that. Think of that beautiful gospel message that was never given because these men interrupted him after this first statement and shut him down. These men simply and quickly dismissed this grand gospel statement from Jesus Christ as not true. It can't be true. You don't have any way to back up what you're saying. Well, let's see if that's true. They they argued that because Jesus was testifying on his own behalf, it was impossible for them to believe what he was saying. His claims were not to be entertained because nobody was there to credential what he said. You testify concerning yourself. Go to a court of law. You have to have corroboration in any testimony. He had none. They said he had none. Let's see if that's even true. If you testify concerning yourself, and nobody's there to back you up, that means you cannot be trusted. They were literally telling the Son of God that his words were not to be listened to because he was a liar. (laughs) He could not be trusted because they knew that there really was ample evidence, wasn't there? Think about this. He had healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, the man with the withered hand. 5,000 people besides women and children he fed. 4,000 people besides women and children he fed. The list of the thousands of people that he healed on the shores of Galilee alone were ample evidence of corroboration for his testimony. The law and the prophets prophesied of the coming Messiah. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, meaning everything that he did, Every step he took, every word he spoke was a fulfillment of the law of Moses and of the prophets that God sent. That all pointed to his messianic work. The signs and wonders over the last three years credentialed the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. I think thousands would have easily testified on, the, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ if they would have been invited But nobody bothered to ask any of these wonderful people that God had saved and healed what they thought of him, how he did what he did, and how did he do what he did. By his word. He simply spoke it into existence. He healed people by his will. And these people knew it. Nicodemus came to him by night two years earlier. Man, uh, Master, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles unless God be with him. Even the great aged Pharisee Nicodemus understood that he was credentialed. But these religious these religious fanatics, really, were purposely overlooking the testimony of all of these people because they really didn't want his words to be corroborated. They didn't want to allow him the opportunity to be right. Any one of them. Like I said before, could have easily corroborated the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ if if they wanted to. So how these rulers so easily ignored the man from the Pool of Bethesda, the man with the withered hand, and so many others, is is really strange. Everybody knew about it. How could you not remember something like that? Well, they had an, they had an answer. Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And if you work on the Sabbath, you break the Sabbath, that makes you a lawbreaker and that makes you a bad man, and that makes you somebody that you do not listen to. So every time he did a great work, they said, you have broken the Sabbath, and therefore we will not entertain your words. They focused on that fact that he allegedly uh, was somebody that could not be listened to because he was a law breaker. They couldn't They couldn't denounce the miracles. They couldn't even ignore the miracles. So they had to come up with this this legalese that somehow he was a sinful man. All of his signs and wonders were discredited because on a few of those occasions he healed on the Sabbath. So what's the real issue here? Well, these men, these religious rulers, were not interested in truth. They didn't care about truth. They didn't care about the word of God. And that sounds strange, doesn't it? How can the doctors of the law of Moses, the religious rulers of Israel, not be interested in truth? And that's exactly what we find here. They were only interested in maintaining their man-made religion and, pres- and preserving their positions of power. That's all they cared about. Their own power and positions and keeping the way of life that they loved for so long intact. They were willful unbelievers. They chose to not believe. It was an act, a conscious act of unbelief. They had to think it through and say, your testimony is not true. Fast forward three months from now. Jesus is at the Feast of Dedication. It's the middle of winter. Jesus goes back to the temple. And these men confront the Lord Jesus Christ again. They said, tell us plainly, are you him or not? Here's Jesus' answer. In John chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, "For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God." They understood what he was saying. They understood that everything pointed to he being the Son of God. They admitted it. Later on, in our chapter, in John chapter eight, Jesus said unto them, "Which of you convinceth me of sin? Who? Which of you can?" can convict me of one sin, is the Greek, one little sin. Can any of you find any sin in my life? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? They had no reason not to believe. Now, these were lawyers, like we've already mentioned. They were doctors of the law. These were Pharisees and scribes. The problem with their being lawyers was that they were biased lawyers. And personally, I would like a biased lawyer on my side. If I ever get into trouble, I I want a lawyer that's going to be heavily biased for me. That's not the kind of bias I'm talking about. I'm talking about that they weren't thinking fairly. They had an agenda going into it, and they were going to make sure that their agenda won the day. And the reason is simple. A man's hold on his tradition will make him very irrational. It's really that simple. They were irrational men because they didn't want to let go of their religion. And that's the way most people live in this world. Am I picking on these men? Are we picking on these men today? No, no, these were very bad men. They were murderers, and they were going to one day murder the messiah. But most men are very irrational in their thinking about religion because they don't want to let go of their peace. They don't want to let go of what makes them think that they're happy. And so most men, most women, and even most children ultimately have to say, I like where I'm at. I'm comfortable in my religion. Jesus, thy testimony is not true. And that's what the real issue is. So let's keep going. These men meticulously and carefully suppressed the evidence presented over the last three years that proved that Jesus is the Son of God. You had to put a lot of effort into not coming to the terms with the fact that he is the Son of God. So we find them arguing that Jesus statement concerning himself cannot be true because a man cannot be trusted to testify on his own behalf. That's all they had. And if you think about it, it's true. It's true that men should not be trusted to testify on their own behalf because they are biased towards themselves. They cannot I, if you ask me to, to testify for myself in a court of law, I would do everything in my power, probably, to make myself look the best I could without committing perjury. And so they're telling us that Jesus cannot be trusted because he'll have a natural tendency to be biased for his own personal benefit. This may be true, I think, and I think it's true for all people. But this is not the case for the Lord Jesus Christ. As the sinless son of God, it is impossible for the Messiah to lie. He is without sin. He is righteous. He is holy. He came to become sin for us who knew no sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He came to be the perfect sinless sacrifice for you and me. He was going to shed his blood, and God would only allow this shed blood to pay the debt for our sin. So Jesus could not lie. He could not not bend it in any way. Let's move on to verse 14. Jesus answered and said unto them, Even if I testify concerning myself, my testimony is true. He was very emphatic in the Greek. He says is true my testimony for i know from where i came and where i go but you do not know from where from where i come or where i go jesus said this very calmly the original language tells us that he was in complete control of the situation he did not he did not get excited or lose his temper or get agitated in any way He was calmly working through this. And this is just the beginning. This goes on through all of chapter 8. He said, even if I testify concerning myself, my testimony is true. This is very important. I, I think how frustrating this must have been for the Pharisees at this point. They didn't fluster him. They had been working at tripping him up and getting him in, in, in a convoluted conversation where he would make a mistake where they could condemn him for breaking the law or going against Roman law or something. And they always came up empty. Now we're talking six months before the crucifixion. They've got him where they want him. And he says, no, no, even though I testify concerning myself, my testimony is true. They must have sensed it was about to happen again, that they were going to lose the argument, that this was not going to go well for them. His arguments were beyond anything they could have imagined. You want to anticipate the response from your opponent, whatever the situation may be. They never could, because they were dealing with the sinless son of God, who is wisdom. Jesus first told them that he knew where he came from. Well, where was that? From heaven itself, from eternity, where he had perfect union with the Father and the Spirit. And then he told them where he was going to go. I know where I'm going to go after you kill me, and I'm raised from the dead, and I'm going to ascend back to my Father, and I'm going to sit on his right hand. It covers, this little statement from Jesus covers so much doctrine and theology concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ you have the eternality of the second person of the Godhead you we see the incarnation of the son of God taking on flesh becoming the God man we have the the humility of Jesus Christ where his deity has been veiled in his humanity why do you think they were so so violently disrespectful to the Lord Jesus Christ on this day because his deity was veiled in his flesh. It tells us of the work of, cross, of the cross. It tells us of his resurrection. It tells us of his ascension. It tells us of, of, of his glorification after all of this work. I would refer you to Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11, which I don't want to read. I do want to read it badly. But I don't, want to, I don't want to take too much time. But as I'm thinking about it, I think we should read it. I think it's well worth the read. Uh, the, the, the glory of this passage that Pastor Stephen went through uh, just just a few months ago, actually. One of the great passages concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5, and we'll finish in verse 11. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see why he had so much authority when he spoke? He never spoke and qualified what he said. He spoke with authority because he is authority, he is all truth, he is light. But after he said this in verse 14, then he contrasted himself with these men. Because these men were spiritually blind. They have no ability to know where Jesus came from or where Jesus was going. Why? Because they were unbelievers. They were willfully unbelieving everything that Jesus is and said. Your testimony is not true. Jesus simply told them he knew things about himself that no other man could possibly know because it was only between he and his father and he and the Spirit. He is set apart from all others. No man knows what tomorrow brings, but Jesus does. He's the exep- he is the great exception to the rule because he is the great ego e me, as as his father told Moses at the burning bush. Who should I say is sending me? Tell them the I am is sending you. The eternal existent one, the one that has always been, the Alpha and the Omega. So how can Jesus make in a statement like this without qualification, like I just said, because he is the great I am. He doesn't need to back up anything he says. Let us consider this reality for a second. That the only way to know anything about God is for God to tell you and me about himself. There is no way you and I would know anything about the God of the Bible unless God revealed himself to us in the ways that he has. All knowledge of God is dependent on God's self-disclosure. Does that make sense? There are no outside sources that can help God make you understand him better. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word of God in the flesh. Therefore, the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ are God's self-revelation to mankind. This is how God revealed himself to you and to me. Yes, he did it through the nation of Israel. Yes, he revealed himself to people in the Old Testament. Yes, he progressively revealed himself to the world through the nation up until John the Baptist. But he did all that through his word. We all have this in written form now. Look what he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. All of this is self revelation from God. The only way you know anything about God is because God was gracious enough to tell you. This is where the world loses its mind. This is what the world hates about the authority of the word of God. That we have nothing to do with it. That we have no say in it. That we don't get to say, you testify concerning yourself, your testimony is not true. That's what they were saying. And that's what most men still want to say today. Think about this. If God's word and Jesus are the self-revelation of God... And it is. Well, that means the word of God has authority over all things in creation. Over everybody. Think about how things work. The meaning of meaning, the meaning of words, the meaning of law, the meaning of the days and the weeks and the months and the years. All of these things were giving meaning by one person, God alone. The word of God must be self-authenticating. Why do I say that? Because these men were demanding that Jesus' words be authenticated by somebody else. And Jesus didn't do that. He didn't bring a witness to help him out, to stand beside him. And that person could say, yes, Jesus did this for me. I believe Jesus is is, is who he says he is because I'm a witness for what he did. Jesus did not bring anybody from the outside source to credential who he is. God will not do that. Why? Because Jesus and the word of God attest to itself only. They read, they, the Bible cannot have anything outside of itself to be more authoritative than, than itself. The Bible has integrity. What does that mean? It means that the Bible has truth. It is truth. It is truthful. It's trustworthy, and this necessarily means that the Bible cannot be uh, influenced or dependent on any outside source for validation. Think about that. What in creation validates the Word of God? What in what in creation can validate the reality? of God's claims for self-revelation. Nothing. We know that the Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament uh, uh, showeth his handiwork. But that's God's revelation to us. It doesn't in any way validate the authoritative word of God. It is in and of itself authoritative without any help from you or from me or anything in creation itself the testimony of man cannot validate the claims of the bible's authority upon you and me we can testify of it but my testimony in and of itself carries no weight god's word must be authoritative or i might as well just sit down What about all those archaeological sites that they've been digging for 200 years to find this ancient civilization that was found in the book of Judges? And finally, after decades, they found it. Doesn't that validate the word of God? No. It's simply validates the truth of the word of God but it doesn't validate the integrity of the word of God the Bible is true and the Bible is self-attesting because it cannot have another authority let me put it simply if God is God and God is God and he says repent for the kingdom is at hand that is an absolute statement it's authoritative statement coming from God. And nothing outside of God can validate that statement. It can only come from God himself. So we're talking about God's authority, the Lord Jesus Christ as God, his authority in his speaking. And we're talking about the written word is the authoritative word of God. And there is nothing that can validate it except itself. I don't want to belabor the point. Hopefully you've understood what I'm trying to say. The beauty of the Bible is that it needs no outside help. And this is why Jesus did not say, hold on a second. Let me bring in 10,000 witnesses that will testify on my behalf that I'm a credible person. He didn't do it. God and his self-revelation, that is the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ, carry their own validation because only God can witness concerning himself. It's that simple. The rulers were arguing that Jesus' words, the word of God, could not be trusted. You testify concerning yourself, therefore you cannot be trusted. Your testimony is not true. They were arguing that extra biblical evidence was more authoritative than the Bible itself, than the word of God itself. They said, produce an outside source, outside of you, not connected to you in any way, that can validate your claims. And if you do it, we will believe you. But what did they used to do? Show us a sign. Show us a sign. Validate your claims by showing us something that you can do outside of your words. Jesus did not entertain it. One theologian mused that the fallacious statement from these Pharisees would be like telling the sun that it did not radiate heat and light because there was no outside source to prove that it was radiating heat and light. We simply know the the sun does that because it's doing it. The sun does not need to be validated as a heat source or a light source by you or by me. Let us put it this way. If a man demands evidence outside of God's word to authenticate and define God, he has determined that the word of God is not trustworthy. It always comes down to that. That's why there's so many unbelievers on the, in the world. Most of them are, are so-called neutral people. They're not religious. They just want to be left alone. And, you know, Jesus walked on the seas of Galilee, and it was a wonderful time. He was a good man. He was a revolutionary. But, you know, I, I don't think it's really the word of God. And therefore, it's not that I'm opposed to it. I just, I just don't believe. There is no hiding from this. You are either an unbeliever or you are a believer. So if the word of God should not be believed because it's not, it doesn't have any authority over us because it's not really the word of God. Therefore, it cannot be trusted and it cannot be believed. Make the word of God like any other book, just a book that was written. By by the way, forty authors over sixteen hundred years period in sixty six books that completely mesh together without any errors, but somehow it's a book like any other book. This was the great mistake that the rulers made in accusing Jesus. Jesus was the is the incarnate Word of God. The Word was made flesh. And he was standing in the midst of these people, face to face, and they could not see it. If you desire to know God, this is where you must begin. Knowledge, true knowledge, authoritative revelation from God himself. In order to know who God is, what he is, his purposes, and his gospel concerning the world itself... You must go to the self-attesting, self-authenticating, and therefore authoritative word of God. The Bible is our standard. Inerrant, perfect. The revelation of God to man. How wonderful is that? And yet, every decade, every generation, the world is fighting against this most wonderful gift from our Creator Himself. The Bible is to be believed because it is the word of God to man. That's simple. No outside sources. I cannot validate that for you. I cannot prove it to you. The Bible is the very word of God. It can only be believed by faith. And these men, sadly, had no faith. They were murderers. The religious hypocrites that ruled Israel... Were doomed to their folly. They were going to go down in their unbelief no matter what. They were lost. They lived in the darkness and they couldn't comprehend the light. How sad is that? Again, even after all those wonderful miracles that did authenticate him. As the Messiah, they still wouldn't believe. So the folly of their argument was if you go the extra mile and prove yourself by doing these things, then we will believe you. But he had already done it and they wouldn't believe because they were lost. They were dead in trespasses and sins. I'm going to stop at verse 14 and just make an observation. We'll pick up verse 15, pick up at verse 15 next time. You testify concerning yourself. Your testimony is not true. This is what the world says. This is the way of the world. This is the way of all religions. It's the way of the Catholic religion, the Episcopalian religion, The Lutheran religion, the Baptist religion, the Muslim religion, the Hindu religion, you name it. The self-religion, which is very popular in our generation. Why did the Pharisees oppose the Lord Jesus Christ? That's really the issue here, is it not? These men made their living by studying the Old Testament, specifically the laws of Moses the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They could quote much of it out of memory. They had been studying it since they were little kids. Their whole life was a religious walk. Everything they did, according to the Talmud, the tradition of the elders was ingrained in their thinking. Everything they did, every step they took was a religious step. They were very formal in their religion, were they not? The robes and the taluses, the way they kept their hair and their beard, the way they kept the Sabbath, the feasts, the festivals, the killing of animals, all of these things, which many of them were in the word of God that they, they followed to a T, became a tradition that they did like robots without any heart, heartfelt uh, meaning to it. They had lost the reason why they were doing it. What was the shedding of bulls and goats for? Pointing to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The shedding of blood of the bulls and goats was appointing a picture of the shed blood of the Son of God for the sins of his people. And yet they had forgotten all of that. They obeyed everything according to the letter of the law. That's all they cared about. And that's how anybody thinks if you're not saved it's just a harsh uh, doldrum duty that you have to do. You have to discipline your life and you have to keep doing it. That's the, that's the life of a religious pe- person. They were slaves to the outward duties required, but it never touched their hearts. Their religion was vain. Their religion was cold. Their religion was dead. They diligently and they regularly shed the blood of bulls and goats because it was simply part of their religious duties. They certainly did not believe that there was any need for blood atonement on their behalf. They were children of Abraham. Moses was their hero. They were looking to the great time when Israel was going to to raise up and be the the, the great dominant power in the world history again. But they continued to habitually go through the rites and rituals daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. Yet they knew nothing of the love of God. They knew nothing of grace and mercy, compassion, They could quote those great passages about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, but they couldn't do any of it. These men were very happy in their formal religion. They were very happy in their outward duties because it didn't really cost them anything. They got to go about their lives and not be affected by the truth of the word of God. They never really considered what the shedding of blood meant when they took that poor animal, that dumb animal, brought it to the temple and cut its throat and the blood gushed out everywhere. They never looked at that and said, my sin is so great that God is requiring death. The wages of sin is death. And I just killed this animal that points to Christ that he's going to shed his own blood, the son of God. For me, They never considered it. They never saw that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They never understood that all of that pictures, all of those ceremonies, pictured the work of the man that was standing before them that day, telling them that he is the light of the world. Why? Because they didn't believe they were sinners. They didn't believe that they needed salvation from anything. They were very happy in the life that they lived. They didn't need a Messiah. They didn't need somebody to save them from themselves. That would mean a change of lifestyle. That would mean they would have to give up much. And so they stubbornly and irrationally held on to their tradition at all costs, even if it meant murder. They had no spiritual life in them. They had no awareness they were lost in their sin. And therefore they had no desire to be saved from their sin, from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll just tell you a short story and and we'll quit. There was a man that I that I knew for a very, very long time, and he was a good man, according to the world. He was a very religious man. He was baptized in the Episcopal church as a child. He was a member of the same church, uh, denomination I should say, for uh, over 90 years. And there came a point in his life where things were changing, and I was talking to him very freely about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how um, tradition is, is 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 a damning religion, and the only true salvation is found in the person and work of Christ. So we talked for months, letter writing, phone calls, person to person, and I was so excited because I really thought he was getting the idea that he was a sinner in need of salvation, that he needed to truly believe. And rest in Christ and repent of his sin. And one day we were driving down the road. And like a light bulb went off in his head. And he said, wait a minute. Are you telling me that my baptism isn't good enough? I said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. He said, that's okay. I'm good with what I have. And he never spoke to me about religion again. And that's what these men were doing. These men were standing face to face with God himself. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. I am the light of life. And they said, you're a liar. You're not. You testify against yourself. You testify concerning yourself. Nobody can corroborate what you're saying. And we are not going to believe you. We are going to stay where we are. And they did. And they've been in hell for 2,000 years. Don't make the mistake of so many people being comfortable in their lives and in their religions. There is only one place that you can go to to be reconciled to God, and that is through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that he did, all that he said, the keeping of the law on your behalf is why he came here. The shedding of his own blood, the becoming sin for you and me, literally becoming sin. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree and then imputing his own righteousness to you. He made you legally righteous before his father. There is nothing that can take that away. He did all that out of love. Do not make the mistake of looking at all of this and looking at the Bible and saying, it's not true. May all in this room flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest rest of your souls our father we pray that you would bless us this day we thank you for the gospel of the lord jesus christ may everybody in this room understand the truthfulness and the integrity of the word of god and that it is true and right and trustworthy simply because you say so may you bless each and every one of us with a true knowledge of you through the person and work of the lord jesus christ and his shed blood in christ's name we pray amen